0: Chapter, but I encourage you when you find John one to stand in God's awesome honor. I want to read forty three to the end of the chapter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, "Follow me." Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, "We have found the one." Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the victory before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are so blessed that you are here. You always are. We don't want to miss you though speak to us um, father changes for you and father I just thank you that you love us it's the spirit we invite you in Christ's name we pray amen all right um, this section of scripture wow it depends on what perspective you look at it from in this section of scripture we see that God has chosen his children. But we also see that we have a call to choose him. Uh, it, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, Brothers and sisters loved by God, he's chosen you. He handpicked you. You were his. And yet, there are a number of these whosoever scriptures... One of them says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, depending on which angle you look at it, which perspective, are we chosen by God or do we choose God? Man, how does all of that work, right? Well, there's a story of three different people who were at the Grand Canyon together and they each had a different perspective. The first was an artist. He said, what a magnificent panorama to put on this canvas. Another was a pastor. He looked and he said, what an awesome picture of the glory of God as I look out today. And the third was a cowboy. And he said, what a terrible place to lose a cow. (laughs) Perspective definitely matters. And so we start out here. I want us to look at this from God's perspective and from the human perspective, our perspective. And first, just some truths from the text, how this is from God's perspective. Look look at our first verse here, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Now, in that culture... The teacher, the rabbi, did not go to the students and ask them to follow him. No, they made a decision to approach the rabbi and to say, Rabbi, may I follow you? Well, Jesus, in one sense, he breaks all the rules, right? Because he's the one that really created all the rules that matter, all the boundaries that are significant. And so from his perspective, he has a preference. And our God always does. God sees what we can't see. And he is at work whether we can see that or not. Whether we are aware of him, work at work or not. Second is the omniscience. Notice in the next verse, verse 44. He says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. He knew. Jesus knew where he was headed. He knew who was there. He knew that there would be a divine appointment that awaited him. He, it, this was not a surprise to Jesus. He headed to the place that he needed to be, knowing who would be there at just the right time for that divine appointment to occur. And, and, and then you, you drop down a little bit in verse 47... It says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus, he's omniscient. He knows. He knows where this guy lives. He knows a bit about his character. He knows he is a guy who just tells it like it is. Who is a, a true Jew. He doesn't play games. He's the real deal. Jesus knows. They also know some secret hangouts where he liked to spend his leisure time, his free time. So he's amazed that Jesus has this understanding without even have not talking to him first. Um, powerful, powerful truth that is, that is revealed And then his providence, he predicts, he says to him in verse 50, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. Jesus says, you trust me, I'll meet the needs of your heart. I know how to take you by the hand. I know where you need to go. I will love you. I, I will be there for you. And and you know, I, I think it's so said so often, guys, people just do not understand the church of Jesus Christ. They think that we're sitting in here, well, we're better than those people who don't get up on Sunday morning and go to church. They think that when we drive by their homes, we think, heathen, look at that. They're asleep in the bed, they're not here at church. Or then there are those who think, Man, if I was to show up in there, that roof would fall in on top of me because they have no idea what I'm really like. But you know what? When you meet Jesus, you understand none of that stuff matters. Guys, it's never been about our performance. When you get to know Jesus, you understand. It's not how straight you walk. It's not even how high you jump when you come down. It's about Him. The focus changes when you really meet Christ. You understand that His love is an everlasting love. That He draws us with unfailing kindness. We understand that there is nothing that can rip us apart from that love. That there is a security in Christ. And we also know that we don't deserve it. So why would we look down at you? Because, man, we got our own junk. You see, that's, that's the truth. Oh, man, He loves us. One of my favorite verses, Romans fifteen seven. it says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That's what it really means in following Jesus. We have to realize we're accepted by him unconditionally, 100%, regardless of your performance. You screwed up, well, get over it, run back home. He hasn't abandoned you. He still loves you, but that secure love that you have—guess what? It leads you to accept all these weirdos in here, right? <laughs> of which I am a part. <laughs> and and uh, uh, that's it. That's his love. He sees. He sees what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. Uh, as a matter of fact, providence means arranging. The natural in a supernatural order. That, that's something God already does. It's from the Latin word, which means to see in advance, providence. And so the picture here is Jesus, he's already seen it. He knows, but he still goes, right? I love Psalm 115, verse 3. It says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he wants. He, our God is all-powerful, guys. And yet, we must believe in him. But you know what? Before you believe in God, understand he's already believed in you. <laughs> it's just mind-blowing. I, I think I, I told a friend of mine, um, we talk about it every once in a while. When we get to heaven, I think one of the things we'll do, I don't know everything we'll do. Forget it, man. I know very little as far as that goes. But one thing I think we'll do is we will ponder for all of eternity. How can he love me that much? And what is the depth of that love? I just don't think we'll ever fully get it, guys. Because it's one of those things that doesn't have a bottom. You just keep searching. And you just keep investigating. And you just keep seeing. Uh, Here's a couple of verses. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then I will give you whatever you ask for in my name. He's chosen you. He's appointed you for the purpose of going and bearing lasting fruit. Now, a couple of verses in our text. This is verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. Drop down to verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. So here's the question. Who really found whom? Make sure I kind of got my grammar right there. I wasn't sure when I said that. I hope you guys got the point if I got it wrong. Sometimes we say, I found Jesus. Well, I didn't know he was lost. Where'd you find him, right? We're the ones lost. <laughs> he sees. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So there is the divine choice. He's chosen you. You are his. picked by him. But there's also the fact that we are called to repent, to follow Him. Jesus and John the Baptist, it says, both preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To repent means to change your mind. We think about it a direct turn, you know. It, it's your body, but it's also your mind and your will and everything about, man, you got to go a different way. You're going your way, and to repent means I want to go God's way. And, and so that, that is a direct choice. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, right? It is a command. Guys, stop worrying about what you cannot fix, and just rest in me. You'll find rest in me. In John chapter 5, um, 38 and 39, he he tells the religious leaders, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you're going to find eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. So they're making a choice. I don't care what I see. I don't care what you said. I'm not going to follow you. Man, can you imagine? Jesus said to them, you refuse. Hard stuff. John chapter 7. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, for as the Scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within them. The living water is there, but yet we have to make a choice. Will we drink the living water? Will we have that thirst quenched? Um, it's a choice that has already been made for all of eternity, and yet it is a choice that we are called to make, John chapter six, he says, "No one can come to the Father. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him." So before we even have the capacity, the ability to follow Christ, guys, we have to uh, first be drawn. And it says the Spirit of God does that work. I love Ephesians one verse four. It says He chose us before the creation of the world and then the next verse he goes on he predestined us for adoption to sonship through jesus christ in accordance with his pleasure and will it's what's pleasing to him to handpick you his love is so complete unconditional uh, sometimes he puts this not just in a passage like this. Sometimes he puts it in a single verse. Listen to John 6, 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me. Did you catch it? All those the Father gives me, chosen, will come to me. Choose. <laughs> they work together. Here's another one, Luke twenty two twenty two: 22. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. It's already been chosen to happen. But woe to that man who betrays him, who makes that choice to betray him. So there's the human choice. I love it. One commentator described it this way. He said, it's like throwing a rope to the drowning man. If you just throw the rope in the water, is that going to save the man? No, the rope is there, but something else has to occur. The guy who's drowning has to grab the rope. Is that enough? No, Because if you grab the rope, you still might go down with the rope. There has to be somebody on the shore who has the rope and is pulling you in to safety. So you have the rope, (laughs) you have the person who makes the choice to grab the rope, and you have the one who has already chosen to pull you to shore and to save you. And so in a complex way that I certainly cannot properly understand to you, God has chosen you if you belong to him. And at some point, you chose Him. There is this partnership that occurs where there is the divine choice of the Almighty who hand-packed you from, handpicked you from eternity past, and there is the present choice that you said yes to Christ, to submit to Him, and to follow Him. I've always loved how D.L. Moody put it. They asked D.L. Moody one time, the great evangelist, they said, who are the chosen? And he said, the chosen are those who choose. I love that. The chosen are those who choose. It is a partnership that works not in opposition, but together. Now, I talked about the divine perspective. I want to look at our perspective, the human perspective. Uh, If you look at our text here, Philip, this is about Philip and Nathaniel coming to faith in Christ. They're, They're being called and to follow him. Philip, first of all, man, he's one of these. It just seems like Philip just obeyed immediately. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And I mean, the guy's just like, follows him. I mean, some people are like that. But hear the gospel, and you don't have to spend a lot of time talking to them, or they're just ready, man, ready to follow Christ. You know, we people who share the gospel. We love that stuff, you know. Yeah, come on in, you know, to the kingdom. But then there are those like Nathaniel. It mm, doesn't happen immediately. There is some investigation that takes place. Uh, verses 45 and 46, it says, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good Come from there, Nathaniel asked. Come and see," said Philip. So Nathaniel was a skeptic. What? You're saying the Messiah comes from where? Are you kidding me? Nazareth, man. In that day, there you know th- th- this was like a place where there were a bunch of uneducated hicks. Now, now. Many of us ours one. <laughs> you, you know, uh, I remember when Cindy and I, earlier in our marriage, we spent a short amount of time in Long Island, New York, and doing. it was kind of more like a rescue mission type ministry we were involved in. And I remember we first got there and went to the bank to try to set up an account. And I sat down, and the lady could not understand what I was saying. What's your name? She goes, I just don't understand. And I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. I'm talking really slow to you. She said, you talk too slow. <laughs> I thought if you talk slow, it gives you more time to hear. You know, so that that you can understand. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, you talk too fast. I'm trying to pull all that in, man. That, that It's coming in too quick for my, you know, so... And I remember after we had been there a while, there was some uh, another church that came on a mission trip and did vacation Bible school, and it was so funny, guys, because the kids would uh, they would come up to me and they all called called me Father Todd, because it was mostly Catholic up there, you know. So you don't have to call me Father Todd; <laughs> it's <laughs> not necessary. But one kid came up to me and he looked at me and I said, "Yeah, well, what you need?" He goes. Do you know the Beverly Hillbillies? <laughs> just don't they, they just don't understand those guys in Nazareth, you know? Don't understand their accent or they're a little bit different, you know that that kind of thing um, in the, in their lives. And can anything good come from Nazareth? <laughs> that's what that's what Nathaniel asked. Cana, that's where Philip uh, and uh, Nathaniel, excuse me, that's where Nathaniel's from. Uh, it's Cana's about four or five miles from Nazareth. I don't know, man. If they had high schools, they might have played sports against each other. I don't know. So there was some competition, maybe some familiarity there against each other. And, it, you know, in the scriptures, there's nothing predominantly said about Nazareth, nothing that. Seems of importance. So, so that was the investigation next to belief. Verse 47 is when Nathanael proclaims his belief. Look, it says, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no, nothing false. Nothing false. Nathanael says, "Man, how, how do you know me? And Jesus makes this great statement. He says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So, so here's the moment everything changed in Nathanael's life. Now, we don't really know the deal with the fig tree. We, we, we don't know exactly where that was. And we don't know exactly what was happening in Nathanael's life at that time. But it was something that was meaningful to Nathaniel. And when he heard Jesus speak, it hit him, man. He is talking directly to me, and he knows me. I've had people here, it's so funny, I'll I'll preach and say something. A lot of times it's not something I even studied. It just comes out of nowhere. But actually it was nowhere. It was the Holy Spirit, and I didn't realize it. You know, He does that. And people say, you were talking to me. How did you know that? Know what? What you said. And I'm thinking, what did I say? <laughs> but I actually love that because, man, maybe it gets me out of the way so God can really speak, you know, uh, to, to someone um, and, and to make a difference in their lives. Um, the light goes on their heart. All right, uh, the third stage here is Revelation. Verse 45, he says, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Man, at this point, Philip is amped up. Revelation means God spoke and I got it. How many times do we read the Bible or do we come to church and we think, well, I kind of got it. But how awesome it is when God speaks to you and you got it you know I wish it happened all the time but when it happens it amps you up it's like he does love me he does care about me or uh, Roy, he answered that prayer for me you know and, and it it man it it matters um Charles Spurgeon once said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life isn't. Man, you get in the Bible and God speaks and it makes a difference. Martin Luther used to say, the Bible has hands, it grabs hold of me. It has feet, it runs after me. God speaks through his word. And then fourth and one last one is, there is a sense of adventure that comes. Verse 50 again, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. So, What's Jesus talking about? Well, you go to the next chapter. You go to his hometown, Nathaniel's hometown, Cana, and guess what happens? First miracle, turns water into wine. He's just blown away. Man, did you see that? This wine just kept coming, and it was good, good stuff, you know. The best, (laughs) the best wine. That was, you know, much better than what we started with. You saved the best for last. And then he began to see 36 other miracles. People who couldn't hear, now can hear. People who couldn't see, now they can see. People whose lives were terrorized by demons, set free, on and on, he saw miracles and evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, raises the dead, all powerful. And that leads us to this last verse, verse 51 in the chapter. What's that about, right? He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know what I believe? I believe that. That fig tree, I don't know where it was, but my guess is he was reading a section of scripture in the book of Genesis, Genesis 28. Jacob is on the run because he had hoodwinked his brother for his birthright. And he is exhausted. You know how tired he was? He fell asleep using a rock for a pillow. Dude, that doesn't sound comfortable at all. And while he was asleep, he had this... Dream. And in the dream, (laughs) you had this ladder. And there were people going up the ladder and people going down the ladder and they were going back and forth from heaven to earth. And I think that Jesus, when he looked, when he looked at his disciple, he was making the point I'm the ladder. I'm the way from earth you get to heaven. Only by me. That's the only way to go. And get there. And to find your way is through me. He loves us completely. That's how we get there. But you know what? It's an adventure till we get there. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes life's hard, right? Sometimes it stinks. Um, we were years ago before we came here. We were in a tough situation. I was reading my Bible, and I had one of those God moments I talked about, where it just kind of jumps off the page. And it was Isaiah forty two sixteen, and he said this: "I will lead the blind along." I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. At that time in my life, guys, I didn't know what to do. He leads the blind along unfamiliar paths. Do you feel like you're in a situation that's blind? He's there. He will guide you. Do you feel like you're in the darkness? He will provide what you need to see, to get where you need to be. Are you in a rough spot? He'll smooth it out as you follow him. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. He will not abandon you. You're his. He trust him I want to close with a story I'm I'm out of time so I'll try to move along with this we went uh, yesterday and uh, or I went to a LBA missions conference that was at the association office shout out to brother Dave Dave. (laughs) anyway there was a testimony there by Ron Chitkin if you've ever heard Ron shares testimony some of you guys have I think he even came here a number of years ago but Ron's um, ancestor, I don't know how far back it goes, he was this, the second convert of Adoniram Judson. I'm always afraid I'm going to say the wrong missionary, even though I should know this, Adoniram Judson. And the uh, second guy that he led to Christ. And he ended up, Adoniram Judson, and several of the missionaries were thrown into prison almost starved to death. And anyway, Ron's relative came and brought food, and it was pretty cool because when he shared his testimony, he actually had taken notes from a family diary that had recorded all this stuff that's part of Baptist history, and he's first in the part. But anyway, I'll get to where I'm going. I'm kind of <laughs> so at the end of the story, he always kind of adds something, and uh, it was real funny. Billy, uh, Billy was there. He said, "Well, I'm upset you didn't tell this story." Yeah, okay. He's just picking on him. But anyway, why did I even say that? Okay. um, He told a story about a guy who was a POW who had ended up trapped over there in a Japanese concentration camp. And he was there for 40 months, and he was tortured. And the um, allies freed him, and he went back to his home out west. I think it was in Oregon. And then he went to Bible school, and he ended up going back to be a missionary to Japan, as God moved through his life, and he became friends with a guy that I want to spend the last part of this with. And you know what's funny? It's I can't pronounce this guy's name. You know what I do? And I can't pronounce names. I try to go online, and they have how to pronounce. But to be honest with you, I don't know if it's a Japanese or what. But even though I listened to how to pronounce it three or four times, I can't do it. So whatever I say is wrong. But I'm, I'm giving you a heads up. Okay. Commander Mitsuo Fuchida, and that's wrong, but anyway. You know, he was he was the guy who was in charge of coordinating the bombing of Pearl Harbor. He was in those first wave of planes that went across Pearl Harbor. He was the one known to say, Tora, 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 which was an indication to the Japanese that it was successful that they completely blindsided the Americans where 2,403 Americans lost their lives and 64 Japanese. He several times easily could have died during the war. There was one time in the Battle of Midway they had to do an emergency appendectomy on him, and so he did not fly the plane, obviously, and uh, he made it through that. And then there was another time where he was thrown by an explosion and broke both his ankles, so that kept him out of an airplane. And he ended up with a desk job. And then before he was to be part of a group to go to Guam, uh, he was ordered to go to Tokyo, and Japanese lost that battle. And you know the famous Japanese, when they lose a battle... Uh, rather than be captured, it's suicide, and so he managed to escape. You know, death by suicide. Matter of fact, he said um, in 1971, a book he wrote. Again, the sword of death missed me only by inches. Then he was scheduled after the bomb was dropped in Hiroshima to be part of a group that went to Hiroshima to investigate the damage at Hiroshima. He got called <laughs> to go to another meeting. And thus, he didn't have to go to Hiroshima, where that whole group of people died of radiation poisoning. And so he went back home to his family's chicken farm after the war, and he said, Man, what is life about? Why did God spare me over and over? Why didn't I just simply die? He, he found himself in a, a court um, after the war, and he was very skeptical. He thought, man, the Americans, they're no better than we are. They have tortured the prisoners of war. And, and so he, he began to study and ask questions. And in his study, he ended up talking to a friend that he thought had died in the war, but actually had been a prisoner of war, and he was sent home. He was a flight engineer that had served with him. And I can't pronounce his name either, Kazuo Kanagazaki, okay, that, yeah, all right. Uh, Anyway, while he was taken prisoner, he met a lady there named Peggy Cavell, whose parents were missionaries in the Philippines killed by Japanese soldiers. And this guy couldn't figure out why she treated him with such kindness. He didn't understand it, and and so it, it changed his life. And he shared his story with this former commander. And so it led him to investigate Christianity. And then he ran across the story of this guy, Jacob de who I had mentioned had been a prisoner of war. And he read his story. And guess what? He came to Jesus Christ. And he got in an evangelistic association where he even traveled over here to America and he shared his testimony. And there was a Japanese American, his first, uh, the first one he knew of, who came to Christ from his story. And, and so then he ends up, he goes back to Japan, and he finds um, Jacob de Sager, who is now a missionary in Japan, and the two of them together preach the gospel of Christ. This is the power of Christ. That he takes those who were once enemies and he brings them together. He reconciles what was broken. How could you, any of us ever dream that there could be that kind of forgiveness and reconciliation that happened? People who faced torture, people who faced disillusionment, and now they find life and a reason for living. Matter of fact, he writes these words as I come. Near the end of this, you know, preachers, we always lie. We say we're at the end. (laughs) Um, He says, looking back, I can see now that the Lord had laid his hand upon me so that I might serve him. So even though he chose Christ, he saw he had been hounding me. He had a plan all along. He had chosen me. Let me close with this verse. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be blameless and holy in His sight and love. I want you just to catch a little glimpse of that. okay? If you belong to Jesus. He chose you. He handpicked you in Christ when? Before the creation of this planet. You were on His mind before this place even existed. And He chose you how? For what? To be blameless and holy in His sight. It is not about your performance. It is about His provision. It is about His work finished at the cross. And you, in God's eyes, are holy and blameless in His sight if you have received the ultimate sacrifice that was won on an old rugged cross at Golgotha. It is yours. That is who you are. And I want you to see that. And guys, if you have not trusted Christ, if you have not received that ultimate love gift that is found in Christ, why not now? Don't wait. And you're saying, well, it's too late for me. Man, if you want to come and and you want to choose Christ, it's not too late. He's not giving up on you. It's just a sign you are chosen. Come if He's called you. Understand, child of God, and those who need to be a child of God, that He's chosen you. He wants you to choose Him. Why? So that you may be blameless and holy in His sight. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word, Lord. God, I I pray that You speak or have spoken (laughs) and that we respond to Your call, Lord. How awesome that those of us who chose you find out we were already chosen to be holy and blameless in your sight, Lord. Father, how can we miss that? May we not. I pray for those of us who know that, that we live there. Recognizing who we are so that we can point others to the source of that indescribable love that sets us free. So move, Lord, in your name we pray.